0: Lauren.
1: Mike, are you on Mastodon?
0: <laughs> nope. <laughs>
1: uh, do you think you will join Mastodon?
0: Um, maybe if there's a compelling community there, like if there's a server for Swedish PsychPop.
1: You are never going to live down Swedish psych pop. <laughs> I think you mentioned that at a conference and like a mixed crowd a few years ago, and now you're just Swedish PsychPop guy.
0: I am perfectly happy with that.
1: I don't know if there's a Mastodon server for Swedish PsychPop, but... I am curious whether or not you think we could technically set one up in the time it takes to record this podcast. Maybe. Mm, Probably not.
0: I don't really know much about it.
1: Well, on the upside, someone is going to demystify Mastodon for us today.
0: Sweet. Let's do it.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired.
0: And I'm Michael Kalori. I'm a senior editor at Wired.
1: We're also joined this week by Wired senior editor Andrew Couts, who is coming to us from a uh, hamlet in upstate New York. Hi, everybody. I just wanted to say Hamlet. <laughs> hey, Andrew. Uh, how many people live in this hamlet?
2: Uh, 188. Seriously? Yes.
1: That's incredible. Are you like mayor there?
2: <laughs> no, but I probably could be if I wanted to. I think. I don't know if we even have a mayor. We have a a board, but it's very small. It's quaint. It's nice.
1: I'm willing to bet that of everyone who lives in your hamlet, you have the most followers on Mastodon.
2: That is probably true. (laughs) I kind of hope it's true because if it's not, then that means my neighbors are weirder than I think they are.
1: And you need to go friend (laughs) them immediately. All Right. right. Well, we've definitely tipped off what we're talking about today. Right now, if you're active on any popular social media platform like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, you're using a centralized social media app. What does this even mean? Basically, it means that one body or one corporation holds all the power over that network. It might also mean that you really experience one primary feed when you log onto the app. But in the first two extremely chaotic weeks of Elon Musk's ownership of Twitter, another narrative has emerged one about decentralized social media apps, and one in particular. It's called Mastodon. Now, Mastodon looks and feels a little like Twitter, but it's pretty different at its core. So we've invited Andrew on to talk about it because, Andrew, I think you, like me, spent all weekend banging your head against the keyboard trying to figure out Mastodon. Is that correct?
2: Yes, I have spent uh, far too much time on Mastodon. I think my, my weekly screen report said I was up 16% over the past week, So, and almost all of that was spent on Mastodon, and definitely the most increase was on Mastodon. I am a little bit obsessed with it.
1: Okay, so what is it?
2: So Mastodon is, like you said, a decentralized social network. It looks very similar to Twitter in a lot of ways. It has some different vocabularies, it has some different rules, or at least um, social norms than Twitter does. But overall, it's a very similar experience to Twitter. Uh, The big difference is the decentralized bit, which means that my account might exist on a different server than your account, but they can talk to each other and there's no reason to be too concerned about that. It's just a little bit different in the way it's set up and it can have big implications for content moderation and all types of different aspects that make up our overall social experience there.
0: So the thing that people often talk about when they talk about Twitter, and the thing that I would argue makes Twitter special, is its role as the great public square of the Internet, right? It's the place where everybody is hanging out in the same spot, talking about whatever they want to talk about with their individual communities inside that public square. But it's it's there's no... Fence that you have to hop over to go from one community to another. It's just one big community. So, how is Mastodon different in that
2: way? Like, how much of a public square can it be? I think it can be the same kind of public square as Twitter. There's very little uh, friction between the different servers, and it really you don't recognize when you're talking to somebody on a different server than uh, the one you're on. It, it all looks the same, and you can follow people from different servers. Uh, there is the option for a server to not be connected to the network, so you could have your own little social network with only people who know your server, and it never communicates with another server. That's something somebody could do. Um, However, it's really easy to connect a server to another one. If, for example, uh, if I boosted a post from Lauren's server and a boost is very similar to a retweet, uh, that would automatically connect her uh, Mastodon instance or Mastodon server to the rest of the Mastodon network. And so just as little as a retweet or a boost uh, is something that can introduce your server to the rest of the Mastodon ecosystem, uh, which is then part of a bigger—they uh, call it a Fediverse—that's uh, part of that are other applications that are on top of this thing. All these terms are what make this all a big barrier, to, uh, you know, a big barrier to entry for people, and it makes it really confusing. But it's not really that complicated once you're actually using it.
1: So take us through some of these wonky terms. You mentioned boosts. There are also something called toots. There's the Fediverse. What do we need to know?
2: So, toots is the uh, I would say unfortunate word for uh, tweet, um, and honestly, I think it's it's going out of favor. It seems to be um, it seems to be people are just saying post, and it's kind of normalizing it. Um, but you know, Mastodon's been around since I believe 2017, and so it it developed its own little culture, and until we all invaded. That space, this you know, over the past two weeks, uh, they had their own little ways and norms that were, I think, really smart and wise in some ways to make keep it a good community. But other things like toot might go out of favor. Uh, the Fediverse is the name for everything that is connected that's using the same protocol as Mastodon. And so uh, you can have a video sharing platform or a photo sharing platform and those exist on the Fediverse that you can connect your Mastodon account to those accounts and, and use the internet a little bit differently with these decentralized uh, social media apps.
1: And that's short for federated? universe. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. Sorry, I should explain that. Federated is what it means when uh, I'm going to botch this and someone's going to yell at me. But basically, it just means that it's a bunch of networks (laughs) that are connected together that you can see everything that's on all the connected networks.
0: So when I log into Mastodon and I land on my server, what do I see? Do I just see the people's posts on my server? Or do I see people's posts from the Fediverse? Uh, is there a way to select what I see? Because when you show up on Twitter, there's this like algorithmically generated stream that shows me all of the tweets of all the people that I'm following. Or if I'm not following a lot of people, it suggests a bunch of people for me to follow. What's the login experience like on Mastodon? What do I see when I when I show up?
2: So when you first log in, you will only be able to see posts from everyone on your Server. So for example, I'm on the mastodon.social server. I believe that's the first one that was set up and it's one of the largest, if not the largest, server. So everybody who is on there, I can see it on my local tab. So local is everybody on your server. There's also the federated tab um, that will show you everybody within all of Mastodon. And then there's your home tab, which is the one that I use most frequently now that I have you know a good number of people i'm following and so home tab is just people you follow regardless of what server they're on so it's going to be the most similar to what you'd see on your twitter feed based on you know who you follow so it, the home tab is the is where it's
1: at so even though this is a decentralized network i'm curious about who runs it and who funds it is there any kind of leadership or chief executive or as Elon Musk is now describing himself like the chief hotline, what is he, chief complaint hotline operator? For you know, is there someone you can you can basically ring up or drop a line to and say, like, hey, I I wanna talk to you about this? And who is funding Mastodon?
2: So nobody owns Mastodon overall. It's basically a protocol, and then whoever runs your server owns that instance of mastodon and so that's one of the things that makes it a lot different than twitter there's no one person to complain to uh probably if you were going to say hey i'm getting harassed by a bunch of trolls uh you would go to the admins of your server uh there is somebody who founded Mastodon and kind of is in charge. His name's um, Eugene Rocco, I think you pronounce it. Uh, and he's the main developer and and the main person behind Mastodon. But only in the, I believe the Mastodon.social instance or any other one that he's involved in would you want to complain directly to him. He's really active on Mastodon. I think he seems pretty accessible, but um, in general, you're going to want to talk to whoever the admins are of your instance, or you could start your own instance and, you could complain to yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and what about funding?
2: I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, it's a nonprofit, so I believe it's mostly crowdsourced funding. I know they have a Patreon page, and so that's who you would be giving to. You would be giving to the the main uh, Mastodon nonprofit. Um, but besides that, I'm sure that there are Patreon pages for individual servers um, and individual instances. And it's mostly just a crowdfunded thing. Nobody owns it, so there's nobody to pay or anything of that nature. You're not gonna be charged $8 for using Mastodon. And if you were, you could move to another Mastodon server and ignore that.
1: (laughs) All right, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna talk more about this whole concept of a decentralized social network. Mike, do you have a better idea now of what Mastodon is?
0: Yes. It's all becoming clear to me.
1: Are you ready to join your Swedish psych pop server? (laughs) Maybe even start one.
0: (laughs) I could start one. Yes. It would be like me and four other turbo nerds.
1: All right. Well, I want to talk to Andrew more about what it means to be on a decentralized social network and if it's self-governed, how secure that all is. Andrew, what would you say are the biggest considerations that people should have when they join something that is decentralized?
2: The biggest thing to consider when joining a decentralized network is to recognize that the person who runs your instance or server, or the people who run it, have access to everything that you do there. This is also true with Twitter and is one of the big reasons why everyone is fleeing, because now Elon Musk is the person who controls that on Twitter. But on Mastodon, you have any number of people who can control that depending on what instance you're on. So it's really, um, you need to trust who your instance admins are, um, and that's a big reason why a lot of people are starting their own instances, because they don't want somebody else to be kind of in control of their direct messages, things like that. Another thing I would say about, this isn't about decentralized networks in general, but one thing about Mastodon is that direct messages work a lot differently. DMs are posts but you just control who can see those posts and you can set it to be only the people who are mentioned within those posts. If you happen to mention another user, um, you put their at handle in there, they will automatically be included in those DMs. So you don't wanna go uh, talking behind somebody's back and mention them in a DM because they're gonna get access to that DM as an example. Again, you know, as the security editor, I'm always recommending that if you really want to say something private, don't say it on a social network, regardless, uh, you know, take it to Signal, you can take it to WhatsApp or even Telegram where things are to one degree or another. And to end encrypted. Uh, that's where you want to keep your private messages. But just one thing to know about Mastodon is DMs work a little bit differently and they might surprise you how they work if you do it a little bit wrong.
1: In this case, is decentralization tied in any way to the blockchain? Like, is this a bigger part of the whole pitch around Web3?
2: As far as I know, there's no direct connection between Mastodon and Web3 or the blockchain at this point. Decentralization is definitely something that is talked about as part of Web3, but it's decentralized in a slightly different way. We're not talking about blockchain-based technology. We're talking about a different protocol, essentially.
0: Uh, How does moderation work on these servers? Because in a centralized model, if somebody is being a jerk, on the platform, they just get booted from the platform. Uh, So if somebody's being a jerk on my instance or on my server and I boot him from my server, can he just go be a jerk somewhere else on somebody else's server?
2: Moderation works a little bit differently on Mastodon. So to answer your question, yes, that person could go and sign up for another server. However, you also have the option to block entire servers. So for example, if, Uh, some neo-Nazis created a Mastodon server where it's just a bunch of neo-Nazis, you could block that entire server and a lot of other people could block them too and so they essentially get cut out from the main conversations and they're not able to kind of wage these campaigns. So there is some democratized moderation that happens. Moderation also happens at the server level. So whoever runs your instance or your server can... Create the rules that they want to create uh, and enforce those rules how they see fit. They're they're the masters of their domain. I'm kind of I kind of think of instant admins as benevolent dictators. And we are all in these little fiefdoms of Mastodon. And so they can enforce the rules how they want. You also have ability as a user to block whoever you want to block, including in blocking entire servers.
0: I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here and say that we've tried in the past to build social environments on open sourced decentralized systems before on the internet, right? And some of them will survive if they're very well-maintained and the community has a definite long-view purpose, like a listserv or a news group that is still going. Uh, But for social media at a really large scale, it seems like the centralized platforms have always won. Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Hacker News, they all have owners. They all have rules. Those rules could change. We're sort of at their mercy. So, I mean, I get the vision and I understand the vision, but practically, this can never really be as big as Twitter, right?
2: I would say practically speaking, it's going to be difficult for it to get to that scale. However, uh, we've already seen the network deal with a massive influx of people. I think they're up to over 6 million users at this point, um, which is far more than they had before Musk bought Twitter and everybody started fleeing. So it It remains to be seen. It depends on how invested people get. If there are enough people willing to run servers, if there are enough people willing to pay to maintain those servers, then yeah, we can, we could see it grow to be as large as Twitter, uh, which is much smaller itself than Facebook or TikTok or, you know, a lot of the, of some of the other bigger social networks. But, uh, it just remains to be seen. I'm, Cautiously optimistic about Mastodon's potential. I think it really just depends on whether people stay interested when we're outside of this whirlwind of news and Musk seemingly doing some drastic shift every ten seconds. We'll we'll see how it goes. But so far, so good. They've they've lived. They've survived this uh, influx of people, and they've been around for years now. So it's it's. I don't think it's going anywhere. Whether everybody wants to keep using it, that remains to be seen.
0: Mm, yeah that's a good point.
1: I will say, despite the fact that Mastodon has been around since twenty seventeen right now it does have that like chaotic but good chaotic energy right now, like that early web let's like let's fuck around and find out. Let's tinker with things, look at this new feature. like who else is here for the hang? Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun to spend time on once you can get over that initial hurdle of finding a server and actually signing up which took like an entire weekend for me yeah (laughs) i was just waiting and waiting for a verification email and it finally came through but like twitter feels chaotic right now but it's a very dark timeline it's we're taping this on election day and so it's like how is twitter going to disrupt democracy yet again and it's it's not a good chaotic energy yeah and mastodon still feels new
0: it's gonna be a wild two years I do think that a lot of that onboarding experience that you're talking about, Lauren, that is something that could be solved by like a good user experience and the barrier of the server, right? You need to find a server mm-hmm. to hook up to, like just the concept of that is very difficult for a lot of people to understand. So some of that can be solved with like changing the name or creating a very clear signup flow. I haven't seen one yet. Um, I'm also curious about the apps, uh, if there are good mobile apps for posting to Mastodon and browsing Mastodon, and how do those fit into the federated environment and the decentralized environment?
2: So just to go back to the user experience part for a moment, I think one of the things that makes, I agree with Lauren, one of the things that's really exciting about uh, Mastodon is that it feels... It doesn't feel new, it feels old. It feels like the internet that I kind of grew up with. And I think part of that is that there's not just passive consumption or, or even passive content creation. You can also build things for it. You can maintain your own server, but you can also create tools. And you see a lot of people doing that. There's a real creator energy to the space right now. And I think that having some greater control than you do over a centralized network and your experience there, has really invigorated people to want to invest in a different way, and so I think that that's really exciting. And I think one of the ways we can see that evolving is people creating a better onboarding experience, and not and not just being you know a few overworked engineers who work uh, for the mass non- nonprofit. There, it's it could be you know somebody else entirely who's completely independent who just creates something that makes the user experience a lot better. I do think we'll see an evolution of the terms and and kind of people either getting familiar with things like Instance and Fediverse and all that kind of stuff, or just people stopping using those terms and explaining it a little bit better. Um, So we'll see how that goes. As far as the apps are concerned, there's a bunch of different apps. There's the main Mastodon app, which I don't uh, actually like that much. I found it to be a little bit glitchy at this point. Uh, I'm currently using one called MetaText, and it kind of has all the features that I would want on Twitter to the extent that Mastodon mirrors the same experience. Um, and it's been really stable. I did have some lag last night and there's my personal take on it is that having to be patient a little bit with your tech isn't a bad thing. I've kind of found it to be like, okay, it's not working right now. I'm going to go do something else. And it kind of stops the cycle of doom scrolling. And it's, it's like the, the glitch is the same as that, you know, random person on TikTok who jumps up and says, Hey, you've been on TikTok for way too long, you dirtbag, like maybe go do something else and spend time with your family or whatever they say. I always scroll past it too fast to know actually what the whole message is. But, (laughs) you know, I think that there's, I I found it to be more relaxing to have kind of a built-in pause button on my consumption of it because I did go a little bit overboard this weekend. So we'll see how it evolves. There's a bunch of other apps too, though. Uh, there's Toot, which is a paid app. I believe it's available on both iOS and Android that a lot of people like. Uh, there's five or six of them on iOS. I think there's a few others. If you search the app stores, you'll be able to find them. I I recommend Metatext. It's worked really well for me and it's free, no in-app purchases or anything like that.
1: Andrew, can I tell you something? Mike actually pays attention to those warnings when they pop up on his phone, where they're like, oh, (laughs) you spent 15 minutes on this app. It's time to go do something else. He actually heeds the warnings. I do. I don't know anyone else who does. It's amazingly disciplined. I admire it. Well, thank you. But to me, it's just hitting snooze.
0: It's (laughs) (laughs) It's just a good habit that I've developed over the last three or four years. I don't know what it is. It just kind of trained my brain to do it. I know that not everybody can do it. But, you know, the thing that what you're talking about, Andrew, reminds me of is the fail whale, like the early days of Twitter mm-hmm. when Twitter used to crash all the time. And then you sort of had to take a break from Twitter. And, like you were saying, Lauren, you know, it had that chaotic, in a good way, energy because the fail whale could pop up at any time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You it was know, big whale energy. Yeah. <laughs> People were joining. People were like, hey, what's going on on this side? You know, that kind of like curiosity, not really knowing what to post. So it's been kind of fun to watch that happen elsewhere, even if I'm doing it from afar.
2: <laughs> One of the things I've liked about the Mastodon experience is that people are willing to be earnest on main in a way that they were not on Twitter. It's. Mm people are just being a little bit more vulnerable or just being themselves or just saying things that they actually mean. It's not all just either like yelling at each other or jokes or just people posting news or announcements or whatever it is that non-journalists do on Twitter. It's, you know, I, I found it to be just kind of refreshing in that way it's, it's one of the things I've learned is that the way that the community has arisen is by being very much about communication and conversation in a way that Twitter evolved to not be that. It evolved to be the worst place possible for that. And I think we're going to see changes there, and they're probably not going to be good ones. But at the moment, the DNA of the Mastodon community is uh, trying to dictate it being a friendly, uh, not a friendly place necessarily, but a respectful place, and a good place to have conversations. And I've had the best interactions I've had with people online on Mastodon over the past couple of weeks. I have Mm -hmm. to say, I hope that stays the same.
1: It really does feel like right now is the best of the internet and the worst of the internet all happening at once. Mm. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna do our favorite segment, recommendations. Andrew, you're up first. What is your recommendation this week?
2: My recommendation, I'm going to go with a classic gadget recommendation, is the Fi dog collars. Um, The privacy side of my brain hates them because it tracks the location of my dogs and my phone constantly. Uh, So I'm sure that there's good reasons to not want to use this device. But All my dogs got really fat and, uh, this has made them get less fat. And I really like it. Uh, it tracks all their steps and everything. It makes it much easier to be a good, responsible dog owner and keep your dogs healthy because you push them a little bit farther than you think you, than you really want to, uh, on their walks and things like that. And it really helps, uh, really helps your dogs stay trim and can also track them if they get lost, which mine have fortunately not knock on wood. But, uh, yeah five dog collars
1: We're going to need to know everything about your dogs, uh, quickly, <laughs> uh, their names. You can like rattle them off Matt Damon style and, um, their ages and their breeds, please.
2: <laughs> sure. Uh, I have three dogs. My first dog is Sajo. He's a 12 year old German shepherd. Uh, we also have Lucho who is a three year old German shepherd and Truffle who is a, uh, 11-month-old yellow lab. Uh, Lucho and Truffle are both dropouts from Guiding Eyes for the Blind, which is a guide dog school uh, where my wife runs the adoption program. So both of them had some slightly not guide dog traits. And so we got to adopt them when they were little puppies. And That's amazing. They're good.
1: So Truffle, you said.
2: Truffle, yes.
1: Yeah. It sounds like he was just being set on the path to be a wee bit pudgy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah it's a she and she is okay. actually not she came in at the uh after we got the dog, the uh thigh collar for lucho who was the main fat one uh truffle is actually <laughs> jacked okay. she's like a jacked little puppy because of lucho she weighs around 60 pounds lucho is a little over 100 pounds not fat uh and so uh She thinks she's a hundred pound German shepherd and uh, plays like one. So she's, she's, uh, she's the fittest of the bunch.
1: Oh, so she's going to stand on the podium with you when you accept your bid for mayor. Exactly. How much do these collars cost? I
2: think they're around $80, but there seems to be a perpetual sale. So I'm not sure. And I think they just came out with a new one, the series three, which I have deemed not worth my money yet. So we'll see.
1: The series three dog collar. Yeah. Like they're Apple. Yeah. This is the next generation. I mean, good morning. This is our new dog collar.
0: (laughs) We're all past the point now where (laughs) it does not feel weird to do things like charge our dog collars or charge our basketball shoes or charge our surfboards.
1: I don't No, I do not charge a surfboard. All right. Thanks again for that awesome recommendation. More dogs on Gadget Lab. More dogs. (laughs) Mike, what's your recommendation this week?
0: Uh, I'm going to recommend a book. It's a book that I just finished. It's called So Much Things to Say, The Oral History of Bob Marley. And it's written by Roger Steffens. It's an oral history So it's a book of interviews, but our guide through the history of Bob Marley's life is Roger Steffens, who is a longtime broadcaster, reggae scholar, and one of the world experts on Bob Marley and that world of Jamaican music known as reggae music, which I'm a big fan of. And I've read a lot of Bob Marley books. There are a ton of Bob Marley books. And I've read most of them. And this one is by far the best one I have ever read. It's excellent. Uh, Roger Steffens has about 40 years worth of interviews with um, all of the people around Bob. His family members, his band members, former band members, business associates, uh, lovers, Children, <laughs> And he's assembled this book that takes us through Bob's very early years, right up until his death at 36 from melanoma. And uh, it is just really interesting because it's the only book that I've read about Bob that paints him as a real complex three-dimensional individual, right? A lot of times when there's a figure who is like a a really big, important figure for a lot of people, you know, uh, in many parts of the world, Bob Marley is considered like a prophet. He's considered a saint. He's above human. Uh, And a lot of the books about him sort of take that stance where his life is viewed through the lens of somebody who is destined for immortality. Uh, This book really presents him as a real human being, a man with problems and joys and sadness and setbacks and successes. It's just phenomenal. Uh, the best part about it, of course, is hearing all of the voices of his friends and family talk about him uh, and all of his complexity. So I could definitely recommend it to anybody who is a lover of reggae music or has read Bob Marley books or is just interested in you know, hearing more about his life because he was such a big figure in, in music. Um, And even if you're jaded, because I'm jaded, like I said, I've read all these books. I did not need another one in my life until this one came along. And then I realized that this is the only one that you really need to read. So, so much things to say by Roger Steffens, that's my recommendation.
1: Awesome, thanks Mike.
0: Sure, always happy to uh, squeeze in these obscure musical references about some of the best-selling artists in history for you.
1: That's not yeah. obscure though. <laughs> I know, last week, was it last week or the week before I said something about an obscure artist and you said, she's not obscure. <laughs> Bob Marley is not obscure.
0: Right, what's your recommendation?
1: My recommendation is White Lotus season two on HBO Max. I've never I heard of it. Never... <laughs> really?
0: No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: I'm just gonna say we've got to get you up to speed. Uh, I have not watched the whole season yet. HBO is trickling them out week by week. So you can't really binge watch it unless you wait several weeks to watch it all at once. I have watched five episodes because that's what was available to the press when HBO handed out their digital screeners. Um, There are only two that are available to broader audiences right now. But it's great. It's brilliant. It's created by Mike White, Last season, it it revolves around a murder. Again, the very first episode, you learn that someone has been murdered. Multiple someone's have been murdered, and you sort of just see a body floating by, but it's it's hard to tell who it is. And so then all of these characters are introduced. And White Lotus is the name of a resort chain. Last season was in Hawaii. This season is in Sicily. So a bunch of you know incredibly wealthy people are at the White Lotus Resort again, and it's an ensemble cast. It's like a handful of different couples, and they don't all know each other, but then they sort of interact, you know, in different ways throughout the season. And um, yeah, I would say I, this, so far this season doesn't feel quite as masterful as the first one. I think the first one was new, and it was the concept was great, the writing was great. Um, you sort of felt very invested in characters, whether they were the resort guests or people who actually worked at the resort. Um, But the second season does maintain the element of escapism that makes it really fun to watch. And it's kind of like a soap opera. And there's all this sexual tension and total weirdness and this underlying darkness that you're just waiting to like rear its ugly head. Um, And I'm really enjoying it so far. I can't wait to watch the final two episodes.
0: Uh, You'll have to live toot them.
1: Yeah. I will indeed have to live toot them or boost others who are live tooting about it. Is that we're going to start doing that now, like for live events? Like, are we going to go cover a big event and be like, "Are we doing a live toot?"
0: <laughs> I look forward to all of your all of your toots, live or not, about the finale of uh, White Lotus season two. And I should I look, be caught up by then.
1: I look forward to your toots about Swedish psych pop, <laughs> Andrew. We very much look forward to your toots about your dog collars and everything else that is going on in the world of Twitter and Mastodon. Thanks again for joining us.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find most of us on Mastodon <laughs> <laughs> and all of us on Twitter because we're still there. Just check the show notes. We'll put our handles in. I guess we should probably start putting our Mastodon handles in.
0: We absolutely should. Why
1: not? Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth, um, who is sitting here wearing a woolly mammoth costume in It's a studio? Mastodon costume. Oh, all right. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the US dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.